Welcome to the Cancel This Podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest, Tim Challies. Tim is a Christian, a husband to Eileen, and a father to two girls in their teens, and one son who is waiting for him in heaven. He worships and serves as an elder at Grace Fellowship Church in Toronto, Canada. He's a blogger and book reviewer and has written a number of popular books. His latest book is Knowing and Enjoying God. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. So what was on your heart when you started writing your latest book, which is, when I say book, it's a devotional. It's it's just so full of so much richness. And and it just, it's been such an amazing read that I I know it's kind of broken up into different parts and whatnot. How you did, can you, can you just explain to me your thought process and what God put on your heart, why you wrote this? Sure. Yeah. Um, The book really began, I guess, as a meme, you could say. Um, Years ago, I, I, so back up a little bit more. I love quotes. I've always loved just a good quote. And um, years ago, I had the idea of combining quotes with graphics and putting them out there into the the internet uh, through social media. That seemed to be the thing that was done. And I just wanted to make quotes look beautiful so people would read them and hopefully take the time to digest them. Um, eventually, I started releasing hundreds and thousands of those things over the years and got the idea that, you know, I think I could add a devotional dimension to these and uh, where we would have a, a really good quote and then a little bit of uh, meditation based on it. And so that's where the idea for the book was born and then had to come up with a theme to structure the quotes around rather than choosing random Christian quotes and decided to frame it around the means of grace or spiritual disciplines, if you prefer. So that was really the genesis of the book. That is so great. And so in that, there's so many small messages, but how do you feel that a small message can help grow someone's faith? Because obviously I know you're the, the type of guy, as you should be the type of guy, that, that points people to the Holy Scriptures and you want people to spend time in their Bible and reading God's infallible word. But with that being said, how, how do you feel that these small little messages can also help people grow, grow closer sure. to Christ? Yeah, I was actually inspired, if you will, by something John Piper said years ago. And I sort of already known this to be true in my own experience, but he framed it in a way that was really helpful when he said something like, books don't change people, paragraphs do, sometimes sentences. And I think he was on to something there, that if you read a whole book, uh, you know, what's the average Christian book, 180 or 240 pages, and you come away with one really good idea or one thing that's going to change your life in a little way, you've done well. That's worth the 10 bucks or 20 bucks you spend on the book, just one thing that can change you. And really, at the end of it, it's rarely the entire book that has that impact on us, but just something, a little fragment we pick up from it. And so that's where quotes come in. And I think a good quote is maybe like a, a lozenge, not a, a candy, just kind of, you know, not a Sour Patch Kid, not something you just chew up and it's gone, but something you, you suck on for a while and you really try and, and get down to its essence. And um, so I think quotes are worth pondering, worth carefully considering. And there's been uh, some authors are just especially quote worthy. They're very good at taking a lot of truth and distilling it down to its essence in just a sentence or two. Right. That's so amazing because that's what I love about your writing style and the writing style of so many people that can do that. As for me, I I like to say I'm a rambler who tries a standpoint, if you will, meaning I I was in the fire service for 22 years. And during those 22 years working in West Oakland in some of the busiest firehouses, 
God just blessed me with so many stories of being able to respond to other people's emergencies, interject my skills and abilities, meaning my paramedic skills and my medical skills, along with fighting fire to bless other people. But what I love about it is how I was able to also take those messages from those scenes, come back to the Holy Scripture, say, all right, God, what's something I could reveal to people through these things you let me experience. Do you find that there is a lot of personal experiences from your own life that go into these quotes and these uh, different stories, if you will, in your book? Yeah. Yeah. I think most of the quotes I chose are, they resonate with me based on something I've experienced. And I think that's true of all of us. Um, you know, people don't tattoo something on their arm that means something to someone else. They t- they find a phrase or something that means something to them. And right. and that's the way it goes. You know, we find these little distillations of truth. And uh, I think there's been a, generations of writers in Christian past who are especially good at this. And you look at something mm. like the Puritans. They were so good at taking, you know, they would explain things at length. You'd see that the works of some of these guys was 80 or 100 volumes. But as you read that, you say they'll say things really long and then they'll distill it down to one little short, punchy sentence. Matthew Henry was another one who was so good at this. J.C. Ryle, Spurgeon, Mm -hmm. they would say things long, then they would say things short. And I find that so, so helpful to take all of that and just take it right down to something that I can ponder and really uh, meditate upon. That's great. And also when you uh, bring the visually stunning approach to it also, you know, by using people's gifts and abilities with their artwork and stuff, I, I, I just think that's an amazing concept, man. I just, I love how you brought this together because, you know, I've read many devotional, you know, some dedicated to certain areas, like maybe in our prayer life or, or other areas of growing closer in Christ and stuff. And, and yours, it, it just seems to me that the a lot of it really points to grace. Would that be a fair assessment that you have a lot of just pointing folks to grace and trying to get them to understand grace within your writings? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do we have but grace? What do we stand on but grace? And grace is the most distinctive feature of the Christian faith. Um, I'm sure you've heard it say, but that that really is what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion calls us to labor, to work, to do something to make ourselves right with God or acceptable to God or to turn God toward us in some way. Christianity says we got nothing to offer God, but he, by grace, turns to us and draws us in and sets his love upon us and saves us. And so, yeah, what do we have but grace? And uh, you mentioned the visual component of it. I think that came out of a desire that's been mine for quite some time now to explore, yeah, to explore beauty and to use beauty to convey truth. And so um, you, you read Psalm 19, you read many places in Scripture, and you realize God reveals himself through the word inerrantly and infallibly, but he also reveals himself through creation, through what he's made. And through beauty, through photography, through shots of nature, even shots of people, um, you know, there, there is this, this um, God is communicating. He is speaking mm-hmm. about his creative ability. He is speaking about his power, his majesty. He reveals all that through creation. And so that's where I think uh, the approach of bringing biblical truth to bear along with beauty is, uh, I hope, a very compelling package that draws the eye, but also engages the heart. Right. You know, the, you know, just recently I got back from a family trip with, uh, with my wife and our two younger sons. And we have two older kids that we adopted, but they're in their twenties now. And one followed in my footstep and became a firefighter. And uh, the other, she works in administrative work. So they couldn't come with us on our latest trip, but we went to Zion National Park and I had never been there before. 
And when I set foot there, you know, it wasn't like it was holy ground, if you will, and stuff. But the the connection I felt with God of just being in his creation and and then, you know, because I'm a history dork too and stuff. And I, I start thinking about about the flood and about how how the waters were there and, and came out of the Great Basin and stuff and how all of this was formed over time, you know, in God's amazing time. And and I just felt so close to him in a different way, which you were kind of speaking of there, of him revealing himself to me through his beauty. Now, what was even more majestic about it was we brought our Bibles and every day my family and I, we do a Bible study together. But then I also have my older kids do a Bible study with my younger kids, kind of teach them to to, to train up the younger ones. And what I got out of being there, man, was just, a, a wasn't like a new level of closeness or an awakening and stuff. It was just different than what I experienced in my day-to-day life. Do you find that sometimes when you're in just a beautiful place outside of your normal area, that sometimes you just have a, a different type of experience with God than you normally do sitting in an office or at work? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I love, I love Zion, first of all. Um, I spent a morning a couple of years ago sitting at the Canyon Overlook Trail there and just watching the sun rise <laughs> okay. over So Zion. I'm going to cut you off for a quick minute. That was the vision I had in my head was we were at yeah. the Canyon Overlook there, and that's where one of those moments happened. So that yeah. was just kind of cool that you mentioned that. Sorry to cut you off, but no, that was pretty awesome. Absolutely. And I think God wants us to enjoy the beauty that he's made. I know God wants us to enjoy it. God didn't create a beautiful world just for his own benefit. He created it for ours as well. And he created it beautiful and incredible. So we would gasp. So we would be in awe because that, that awe leads us to worship. And when you see the sun rise over Zion, your thoughts aren't, they don't tend to be about how great I am. It's not, you know, oh, Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder, consider myself and all my hands have made, right? You, right. you just look out. I could not do this. This couldn't just happen. Your, your heart is moved to worship. And that's the way God has made this world. And again, Psalm 19, here's David just sitting under the stars thinking, wow. And, and this is driving him then to the Lord. This is uh, motivating his heart um, to love God even more, to gasp aloud at his majesty. So right. absolutely. we. I think we who are city dwellers, whether you're living in Oakland or mm. outside Toronto or right. wherever we are, I think we need to we need to be careful that we continue to pursue beauty. And maybe that's, you know, through watching it on screens or something, mm. but there's something about surrounding ourselves with beauty that is so wondrous. Yeah, that's so good. So another thing I wanted to kind of talk to you going off on this little tangent of talking about Zion is obviously we're there, there's the visitor centers where they like to talk about billions of years, things like that, you know, science and everything. And when I was there, it was so wonderful to watch my children. You know, I, I have to teach them to engage culture properly because sometimes as a fireman, my my aggressive worldly side kind of comes out where someone will tell me, well, the world's created billions of years ago, like, you know, kind of jokingly. Well, I have to watch because my kids pick that up, too. So as this park ranger was giving this little speech, you know, I hear myself, oh, yeah, billions. Of years. I'm like, son, stop. We can't do that, you know. But with that being said, that is a way that sometimes I've noticed we engage culture as Christians. It sometimes meets in nature, if you will. And I believe in God's nature, God created nature. I believe that God created science. I believe in all of this and he wants us to steward it properly. But when we encounter people 
who believe in mother nature, billions of years, all this other stuff. How can we biblically approach them in a graceful way? Well, we talked already about grace. So I think the first thing is to approach them in humility and with a right assessment of ourselves. That if we know better than billions of years, we know better than naturalistic evolution, we know the hand of God in this. It's certainly not because our hearts were longing to know that or we ourselves discovered that. It's because God has chosen graciously um, for no no reason other than to, to glorify himself. He's chosen to reveal that to us through his word. And so hopefully that that keeps us from scoffing at people. We can scoff at ideas. We should very we should be very cough, careful about scoffing at people. Um, people are to be pitied in the rebellion against God, not generally scoffed at. So, um, yeah, I think having that awareness that what we know we know only by the the grace of God's revelation to us through His Word and um, even through nature. And yeah, I think then just to engage probably with with good questions. Um, you know, I think we want our children to be able to understand the world. I think it's great to introduce our kids to evolution. They ought to know the terms of it, especially when they're young and they're still in our homes and we can talk to them and work them through those things. Don't hide from our kids that other mm -hmm. people believe something else. But I think Christians tend to laugh at things and then our kids can go out into university, out into the world and realize it's really not funny. And there are people can make very good and convincing arguments. And if we've prepared our children only by teaching them to laugh rather than right. to engage, we may have set them up for failure rather than success. We may have set them up to be intrigued by those, by those ideas from people who take them seriously and can provide a, a robust defense. So yeah, I think just being very careful, very humble and um, yeah, just grounding our kids in the truth of God's word. That's so good. And I so appreciate you uh, pouring that wisdom out into us. Because one of the things that I like to fall back on to when I'm thinking about approaching people is I think of the old me because for the first 28 years of my life, I wasn't a follower of Christ. People are like, well, are you an atheist? And I just say, I don't, I was just an angry, angry person rebelling against God is my assessment as a Christian looking back to what I was. I didn't have any ulterior beliefs. All I know is I couldn't stand Christians because they had this goodness pouring out of them that deep down inside I wanted, but I didn't know how to obtain, you know, because I was always told by this world to chase stuff, go after stuff, as opposed to, wow, once I slowed down and listened to the word of God and realized he was calling me, that I finally was able to, to hear him and put my faith in Christ Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and accept the whole gospel message as my truth. But what I try to do is fall back into that place when I'm engaging people, because like in my book, people ask, they're like, Hey, there's this part in your book where you actually curse a pastor out of your firehouse. Why'd you put that in there? I said, I wanted to show how broken I was. I wanted to be able to engage other people that felt the way that I used to feel that they do now and show them, listen, I was there. I'm not giving you like total sympathy or thrown empathy, but there's an understanding. And so I love the way that you bring that up with our kids, that we have to bring them the truth in a way that they can go into the world, stay grounded in his truth, but also engage properly without making a mockery out of, out of the world and stuff. So I really appreciate that part. Good. With, with, with all of that being said, one of the questions that has been on my heart is, how has grace helped you through your journey 
especially during these past couple of years, which we all know have been some pretty unprecedented times for our time here on this fallen fallen uh, planet. So how has Grace helped you through these past couple of years of, with the COVID, political fighting left and right, and personal things that you've gone through? Yeah. Yeah. Um, think of the the hymn, the amazing grace, grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. So um, it's by grace that God reveals himself to us by grace that we're saved by grace that we're sanctified by grace that we're called home glorified in the end. So through all of life, we're just so utterly completely dependent upon grace. And I think the last couple of years have been, uh, I've had to rely on grace as never before. Um, my life was completely upended by COVID. Uh, Right before COVID began, my father died very unexpectedly. And so that was a big shock. The first very close death to me in my life. And then COVID struck and that upended my life of travel, speaking. And um, yeah, just completely uh, changed my the, the day-to-day of my life. And then just about a year ago, uh, the Lord took my son, my 20-year-old son to himself, which changed everything um, in so many ways. And so I think I've just found myself having to rely completely on God's grace just to say, if God was ever true, he's true now. If any of this I believe ever meant anything, it means it now. If, if ever the Bible's guided me, it's going to guide me in this. And so in all these circumstances, just having to completely rely on God and just take God at his word. Like, if uh, if you say it, I'm going to believe it. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to cling to this book, this Bible. Um, I'm just going to keep reading it. I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm going all in on the word of God. I'm going to, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to obey it. And at the end of my life, I'm going to trust that it's all going to going to prove right. true and you'll take me to be with you forever. And I just don't know where else could I go? Uh, think of the apostles. Where else could we go to, um, to whom else could we go? You have the words of eternal life and where else could we go? We're either going to run toward God in our turmoil and our trials, or we're going to run away. And uh, God's given me grace, I think, to run toward him and to uh, just cast everything just to go all in with him. That's, oh man, that's so good. Do you ever find yourself sometimes looking back at your writings? Cause you know, there's been so many because you've been blogging for so many years, writing so many articles, giving so many sermons. Do you sometimes look back at that and realize, wow, maybe obviously I was preaching to other people and, and drawing them close to God, but do you sometimes look back and go, maybe a lot of that preaching and teaching was also inwardly directed to myself during hard times? Do you ever go back to your writings and read what you've said to people and take it for your own wisdom? Yeah, very much. I, I believe, I believe in the God of providence, the God who, whose hand is in all things. And the God, God hasn't just prepared some future. He is preparing us for that future. And so whatever we're going through now, whatever's of interest to us now, whatever we're pondering now, I think in some way God's building towards something. And so as I go back and look at the different threads of my life, the different books I was reading, the different things I was emphasizing, I can see sort of all these different threads merging together at at this time and i expect as as time goes on i'll see more of that as well that maybe they weren't all landing right at the the loss of my son or something but just kind of all being woven together to create something something good something beautiful so um yeah i absolutely believe god is superintending all of my life not just the big events but all those little things as well just weaving together something something good something beautiful 
You're listening to the Edify Podcast Network. We'll be right back. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. This is the Edify Podcast Network. Welcome back. So my guess is a lot of people come to you with a lot of questions about the church's response. You know, let me not say the church as a whole, but their local church's response to COVID. And a lot, it seems to me like a lot of division has popped up over this past two years. Like it it always does. Every time I look at the past just 20 years of division in the church, I see it in so many different areas. And a lot of it has to do with what's happening in culture at the time. Have you seen a lot of division within the local church during this time of COVID, meaning how we've handled it, not handled it, how we should handle it? What, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, certainly. You know, I think there was this version of COVID we had in our minds when we first realized the pandemic was going to leap the ocean and invade our shores. And I think we sort of looked out and thought that the church is going to come together locally, perhaps extra locally, globally. And we are going to we are going to come together on this and just serve the community, serve one another. Just just wait and see what the Lord can do. And I think we look back now and think, I might have been just a little bit naive. Um, It could have been that. I really think it could have been. But uh, what we maybe didn't count on was that the spiritual aspects would be bound up in politics, would be bound up in medicine, would be bound up in all these different things. I'm in Canada, so it's a whole different set of politics, a whole different set of medical authorities and so on. And yeah, so I think Satan has has used this to sow division within the church. And he hasn't done that by throwing something into the church. He's done that through you and through me and through through whoever's watching or listening to this. He's done it through people. It's been our fault. This is on us, our lack of unity. Um, we have not pursued unity with one another, and especially unity with people who believe different things. We're reading the facts differently. Um I think it's our conviction that the gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient to bind together Jews and Gentiles, people biblically who are completely different, had no use for one another, different backgrounds, couldn't stand one another. Yet the gospel here in the New Testament, we're saying this gospel is meant to bring you together. Surely that same gospel can bring us together, whether we believe this about the pandemic or that, whether we follow these medical authorities or those, whether we believe this about vaccines or we believe the other thing. But that's only going to happen if if we, it, this doesn't fall on the church leaders, the global leaders, the guys with big radio programs, the guys with big websites. This falls to you and me, people within the church, reaching out to people who believe something different and just loving them despite those differences. If we were all doing that, COVID would have had a completely different outcome. And one that I think is much more uh, satisfying, one which we could be far prouder. And right now it seems that division is one of the main outcomes. Yeah, it seems like a physical response is a lot of times just kind of undermine everything that we've been taught to do, meaning handling it spiritually, right? 
Oh, number one, I mean, what's one of the greatest things we can do is pray, 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 praying, pray, pray, pray a little more mm-hmm. and then get into the word and, and just see what God, how God says we should respond to this. One of the things I've learned, and I'm kind of newer into the world of authoring, and I'm kind of like this anomaly, and this is kind of my my own take on it, because, you know, I look at all these authors out there and go, oh my gosh, these guys are so much more scripturally sound and stuff. And, you know, I try to stay within my lane, stay within the truth. I do have elders above me, my local church, people that watch my writings that will everyone's supposed to say, Jason, what did you mean by that? Go change a couple of words, you know, and stuff. And and so I I try to fall back into that. But being new in this world, I see a lot of just crazy. Uh, there's no other way to explain it, crazy stuff online. That it seems like certain people that are pastors or elders in their church have taken on. And I see no grace in it, and I see no sharing the gospel or growing in Christ in it. So how do we deal with that as Christians when we see this church or this very loud, outspoken voice just hammering down on COVID, the responses, as opposed to preaching grace? How, how do we handle that as a Christian? Yeah, that's hard. Um, first, I think we have to realize that the, the the local church is what really matters. Um, the, we, we get really bound up in personalities and we feel a lot of affinity toward big names who have platforms, who write books, who are famous out there, whatever. Um, I think if our loyalties are primarily to the local church, to those few people God has put directly around us, whose lives we can touch, we can actually do something about uh, people with whom there's actual authority structure. So if they are going off the rails, um, there's somebody there to say, hey, you're off the rails and you need to stop. Um, We can't do that to the great majority of people who are just slagging others on social media or going crazy on the radio or on YouTube. Um, so that's where the, the wider Christian world is in a sense, almost a kind of fiction or, um, you know, there's benefits to it, but there's really significant drawbacks. So focusing on the local church, uh, focusing far more on serving one another than building a platform, focusing far more on those people we can actually do something about those people we can love, who can love us. We can know they can know us. That is so much more important. So I'm increasingly just ignoring the wider Christian world. Uh, I just don't find, especially the the most outspoken voices with the strongest opinions on the smallest points of doctrine, or I just think generally that that's unhelpful. And, you know, I'm in a different country than you. The great majority of the voices are American. So they're speaking in a cultural context that doesn't just transfer one-to-one to to Canada as well. So in that way, it's maybe a little bit easier for me. Oh, that's Um, good. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that makes sense because that's something that you kind of threw out there was, you know, sometimes people's personalities are so much bigger than their doctrinal understanding. And again, I'm not here to be the doctrinal police or the salvation police who's saved or not saved. But one thing I have learned is over the years, I like looking into what other people are saying and then sometimes holding a mirror up in front of me and saying, wow, I don't like this way that they're bringing this message or the way that they're bringing it. But instead of like just typing it out, putting out there like this church is doing that or this, that I actually like to hold up a mirror and say, am I doing anything that might reflect the same things they're doing, you know, and kind of, kind of grow from that. Another thing that I love that you talk about the local churches, I will never, ever, 
ever say the fire department is like the local church, but there's parallels in what we do is we have districts that we're in and we're responsible for that district, right? So if there is a fire within that district, we respond to it and, and we show up. But if there's a fire all the way on the other side of town, we know that there's highly qualified guys going to fight that fire. And I sometimes think of that in the local church that I try to bring that back around. Say, you guys think of this like a, a simplistic blue collar way, like a firefighter. We respond to this area. This is the area God placed us in. And this is the area where we take care of. And I also believe by doing that, there's far outreaching effects because people recognize what you're doing and it, it kind of flows outwardly, if you will, you know? So I, I love how you bring up the local church and how important it is now. Yeah. And you have no business going into a different district and telling them how to fight fires. In fact, the, the more different the district is from yours, the less wisdom you would have, the more arrogance it would take for you to speak loudly and tell them, no, this is how you need to do your job. And so I think there's another parallel there. Just if Christians could just stay in their own lane, you yes. know, just not interfere in other people's battles, just, you know, let those things unfold on a more local level. In general, I think that would be that would be better. Look, there, there's a place for people to, to have a loud voice. And I'm very grateful for, for certain people who really do speak well. They, the Lord has granted them a platform and, and they, they use it well. I'm truly grateful for that. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with it. But it is very easy to misuse, very easy to abuse, and very easy to, um, to give counsel to people that really doesn't apply to them because they're in a, a different context. So I think there's, there's a real caution, a real humility that's needed. No, that's great. You know, I was talking with this uh, with a real dear pastor, good pastor friend of mine. And I told him, I said, it's so weird that when you've given this, what the world likes to call a platform, but I'm just like, God, I don't know what this is, but I know I need to steward it properly. Okay. And I'm trying my best here and I'm following your guidance and I'm making sure that I, I have very wise men surrounding me and above me and helping me out. But one of the questions that I posed for him was like, how is it? Or why is it that people feel that once you're got, you've been handed something that they can speak into your lives, an area they actually have no right speaking into and hear me out on this meaning. So one of the things I'll get all the time is Jason, stay humble. <laughs> like, Where's that coming? Am I showing a point in my life or are you giving me wisdom because you've stumbled in areas where you didn't become humble and, and now you're trying to help me out? Where's this coming from? Do you ever find that sometimes Christians do offer a little more than sometimes they should in that area? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that tends to be based on other things in their own life or things in their own little little sphere. So um, again, the more local our Christianity, the more local our council, the um, you know, it was it said of John Wesley, the world was his parish. I mean, that's kind of cute. On the other hand, no, it wasn't. Um, right. You know, each of us is responsible for our little district, our little church, our little family. Very few of us have really wide responsibility. And um, that wide responsibility is entrusted to people, hopefully, who are faithful in the little bit. Um, I wouldn't want to stand before the Lord and say, I preached the gospel to all the world, but I ignored my own local church. Or I was a faithful pastor to the world, but not to those few people you entrusted to me. Um, yeah, the, the Lord has entrusted a few souls to my care, and that alone is plenty intimidating, plenty terrifying. I'm I'm not eager to uh, have this massive platform where feel there's even more responsibility to steward and even more stuff that I can mess up. 
Right. No, that's so good. I so appreciate that. So I want to kind of hit with you a little on the quote, cancel culture. And, and I know people have been canceling things out that they don't like or that they don't tend to agree with for, for forever, for the most part, as long as man's been around, right? We like to turn our backs on something that we don't agree with. But I've also kind of noticed that sometimes within the church, we like to maybe cancel someone if we don't like the way they're bringing the message, or if we don't like the way that worship is going or something like that. As a pastor in a church, when someone says, well, I don't like it this way, or I don't like it that way, how, personally, how do you address? And I'm not asking for issues within your own church. I'm just asking in general, if someone was to do that, because in my mind, that's kind of a form of canceling, like, pastor, you're not doing it my way. I want it done my way, or I'm going to walk out the door. How do you handle folks that, that do that? Sure. I, I think with patience and with kindness and with humility, um, pastors can be very defensive um, because pastors are the ones who are leading the church. They're making a lot of the day-to-day decisions. They're, they're choosing the songs. They're choosing what kind of liturgy they're going to use on a service. They can be very defensive. They made those decisions for specific reasons. They really think it's, it's the right way. It's the best way. Uh, but defensiveness is not going to help anything. Defensiveness really just another word for pride, I think. Right. So first receive that. But also, um, you know, and realize sheep bite. Every shepherd knows that sometimes sheep will take a, a big chomp out of you. Um, but then also just guiding people. You know, I don't think most people have thought all that well or all that clearly about worship. Why do we sing this song? But why do we not sing that song? Or why would we not take that song that was in the Christian top 40 this week just showed up? Why are we not going to sing it next Sunday? Um, why are we going to have a confession of faith followed by an assurance of pardon in our service? Why are we going to read longer passages of scripture when it seems like that's the first thing to go in most megachurches, get rid of all the scripture reading? Why are we going to keep doing it? I, I think the, the pastor can just communicate these things. And then every pastor has to be prepared for the fact that at least right now in North America, Every major city, every big town has other churches. And so you will have quite a lot of people who leave your church and go elsewhere just over relatively minor preferences that mm-hmm. probably shouldn't be that way, but far better. It's no great loss for the kingdom if somebody leaves your church and goes to another church where they're preaching the gospel. So don't be insulted. Don't be sad. Bless that person on their way and trust that the Lord will use them there or um yeah, the Lord hasn't uh, forsaken you simply because one person leaves over a relatively minor matter. It, it's going to happen. What a graceful approach, man. I, I really appreciate that. You know, I, I don't like to say big church, small church, this church, and everything, because again, you know, I say go where the Holy Spirit calls you and directs you, but also make sure it is the Holy Spirit, you know, that is doing it. Because so many times people who know me will say, Hey, Jason, was that really a nudge of the Holy Spirit? Or was that just a nudge of your adrenaline (laughs) that made that happen? You know, but what I have noticed on the larger churches I visited, because my wife and I, we lived in one certain area and we're at a smaller Baptist church. Then we moved. And so for us to find a new church home at a local church was hard. And we went to a large church. And what I found in a large church is honestly, I was bored. I was so bored on the, the quote, antics that were going on to, to draw people in. 
as opposed to having someone preaching the word and and just you know building us up and caring for our family and stuff. Do you find it sometimes? And I know we're kind of going in touch areas here. The larger churches they are more about how many people they get as opposed to the the growth of the personal growth of their people. Sure. I think there's two kinds of larger churches. There's churches that are just doing the same thing they did when they were small and the Lord just keeps sending people there. There's other churches that want to be big. That is really their great desire. They don't necessarily want to be faithful to the Lord or faithful to the way he tells us to worship. They want to be big. So they um, there's, there's a kind of pragmatism that can seep in where they judge the success of the church by the results of the church and they judge the results by by numbers. And so that's where I think a lot of churches go wrong, is they really believe that a big church is necessarily a church that's seeing God's blessing, and a small church is necessarily one that is not seeing His same hand of blessing. So they equate bigness with blessing. That, I think, is very, very dangerous and a bad path to go down, because it's very easy to manipulate the numbers in church. It's not that hard to grow a big church. But it's hard to grow a big church that's really honoring the Lord and really doing what his word tells you to do. So I do have sympathy for big churches in the sense that as they grow, there's certain things they have to change in the structure of the church. You you can't have a, a big church that functions like a small church. So things change as you hit certain milestones. So I understand that that a big church will always, in some ways, reflect its bigness. Um, it can't have all the all the benefits a small church has, but then small church are certain things they can't do as well. But um, so I, I'm, I'm hesitant to judge a church just on its size as much as are those people eager to do what the word says? Are they living by the Bible? Are they doing all the things God calls churches to do? And uh, if so, then great. Then it's a solid church. And I think you could comfortably fit in there and know you're honoring the Lord. That's so good, man. I, I really appreciate your take on that. I know we're just kind of going all over the place right now, but I just, I love your biblical wisdom that you pour into all these areas and stuff. And it's just, it's so cool. So with that being said, I do kind of want to swing back over here real quick and just hit this cancel culture thing, but also leave people with some hope. One of the things looking into the world that I've been seeing quote canceling wise is, I really enjoy American football. I'm going to be honest with you. I I don't want, I, I lovingly, yes, I care about the player. Okay. But I just, it's like a chess game to me. It's like a chess match and that's all I watch it for. But it seems like so many Americans are drawn to football and it's a place where I see them saying, well, okay, we're going to take a knee. And then this area over people over here say, oh, I'm going to cancel them out. Never watch it again. Then maybe a coach has some emails pop up that were pretty disgusting in the way they were written, and now he's canceled out. And so what I'm seeing is just in entertainment, it's seeping into all parts of our lives of we're not giving people grace to repent. And that's what I think my biggest issue with the cancel culture is, is if I just say, all right, well, man, Pastor Tim, he did this. I'm done. Well, I, I understand maybe I need to let you walk alone while you're going through stuff. And I still need to be here and pour into you, but I need to be over here. But that's not a cancellation. Do you feel that we're ripping off people the chance of repentance when we just cancel them out? 
Yeah. So I think there's two things in play. There is a higher standard for pastors. And so um, I, I don't like the word cancel, but there are pastors who do egregious things. And I think too often in the past in the church, pastors, I mean, you know, take a year off and then come back. doesn't matter who you harmed, how bad it was, et cetera. Just take a year off, come back. You're good to go. Mm -hmm. um, character, character is everything for a pastor, for an elder, and we can never downplay character. We do so only at our peril. So um, when a pastor has sinned egregiously, uh, I would say cancellation in the sense of taking him out of his office is mm -hmm. the, the right and good thing to do. But there does have to be a process for repentance and restoration, if not to the office of pastor, at least to um, restoring him to the membership of the church or, you know, to express he's been forgiven. And you're absolutely right. That cancel culture has no path to forgiveness. You can self-flagellate. You can fall on your face. You can beg. You can plead. You can do whatever you want. It'll never be good enough. Um, it, it's a cutthroat world right now. And I, I hate that some of this is seeping into the, into the church. Again, I think pastors are held to a higher standard. Um, Christian teachers are held to a higher standard. Um, but I do think what we need to develop as Christians is how do we move forward when people have sinned, especially for sins that may have been done quite a long time ago um, when norms were different and everybody thought one way. Uh, I think we just have to develop that path to forgiveness, repentance, restoration. And that really hasn't been done yet that I can see. No, I love your take on that, man. Thank you for uh, pouring into that area too and stuff, because it's just something that that's just, you know, in my blue collar terms, just straight crazy right now, you know, so I, I love your wisdom. Hey, Tim, I just wanted to thank you for coming on today and just talking about a wide range of topics and obviously, you know, talking about your book. Before we leave here, I'm going to ask two things of you that I rarely ask my guests. Well, one I ask quite a bit. Could you just leave us with a message of hope followed by a prayer? Sure. Message of hope. I and mean, we've got the gospel. Um, Jesus Christ has died for our sins and was raised. He's given us all we need to be saved and uh, to be sanctified and eventually to be glorified. So uh, we're living by God's grace. We are living out God's grace. We are eager to be used by God, eager to express the character of God, and then eager to go and be with God. And so uh, the message of hope we offer is, is the gospel, the gospel which is sufficient to save us, sufficient to sanctify us, sufficient to glorify us. So um, Amen. Live, live by the gospel, die by the gospel. And uh, I mean, what more do we have as Christians? If you do that, you'll, if you live like that, you'll be all right. Amen, brother. I so appreciate that. And if you wouldn't mind just praying us out of this episode, man, it would be sure. a huge blessing. Glad to. Yep. Father in heaven, we thank you that you're a good God and that you do love us. We thank you that you set your love on us while we were still sinners. You sent Christ to die for us. We thank you that uh, you accepted his sacrifice on our behalf so that uh, we can have the righteousness of Christ. We thank you that you took our sin and put it on Christ. You took the righteousness of Christ and gave it to us. So now we are truly saved, as saved as we could ever be. We thank you that you'll never love us more than you do now. You'll never love us less than you do right now. You'll always love us perfectly in all the ways you love your son, uh, since we do have his righteousness and since we are joined to him by faith. So we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to live in such hope, help us to live graceful lives. I pray that we as Christians would live lives that are different 
from the lives around us. There'd be a grace that exudes from us um, that we would be able to um, just live so differently that the world would see us and marvel at what you've done in us. Pray your rich blessings upon each one who hears this, each one who listens to this, and pray this for ourselves as well. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. My friends, Pastor Tim Challies, what an amazing man of God, and what a blessing it was to have you here. If you want to grab a copy of his book, Knowing and Enjoying God, it's available wherever books are sold. You can get it from all the booksellers, Amazon, and all that stuff. My friends, I'm telling you, go out and grab a copy of this devotional. Read it, study it, and just absorb it. It's such a blessing. It's blessed me, and I know it's definitely going to bless you. Pastor Tim, thank you so much for hanging out with us today on the Cancel This uh, podcast. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg, and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.